On GDC Podcast episode 20, we have Phil Tibetoski, president of Octodad and Bugsnax developer Young Horses. We talk about making excellently absurd video games, the dev process at Young Horses, pricing your indie game in today's market, and what it was like pitching a wild game like Bugsnax to PlayStation. Back in a sec. We're back. Hey, everyone. I am Chris Graft, editor-in-chief of Gamasutra.com. I'm here again with... Alyssa McAloon, news editor, associate producer. My voice isn't normally this high. Uh, I also work at Gamasutra. Um, great to be introing a podcast for all y'all today. Yeah, yeah. I think that you started talking higher than usual because I led you in with a... Yeah, like the ramp up got there and I just kind of like, I panicked mm-hmm. and my voice completely changed. Yeah, that's good. That's... Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's Yeah, I just feel completely in control of the tone and pitch of this podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have some morning announcements, don't we? We need like the the Ferris Bueller chime to mm-hmm. really ring these in, I think. But yeah, uh, GDC is coming <laughs> up in in July, which is like almost next month at this point. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's too, GDC, that's too soon. It's too soon. I'm not. It's oh my gosh! Every time I like it gets closer and closer. But GDC 21 or 2021 is uh, coming up in July. It's taking place July 19th. 19th through 23rd and it's going to be entirely virtual um you can register at gdconf.com and you can also find a schedule of exciting events there uh which chris will explain oh i will i will um there's a few things that i'm immediately interested in that were recently announced that are going to be happening there um this is some top tier stuff people um id software co-founder john romero ever heard of him um, and game designer J.P. LeBreton will sit down for a fireside chat and play a session of the original Quake. So uh, there's going to be a lot of Quake content. Quake tent. Quake tent. We can workshop that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, there at the show. I'm really excited about that. So uh, folks who are into that kind of uh, low-poly goth nine inch nails classic id uh stuff (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know quake was goth until today so we've learned something new um elsewhere in the show we're also going to be having insomniac games brian horton will take you behind the scenes on the making of spider-man miles morales uh should be pretty exciting they've done some other for Marvel Spider-Man, they did a couple talks in years past, I believe. Um, so this should be a really exciting look into the game. Yeah, that's going to be super cool. Um, I am super excited also that uh, Capcom is going to be giving a talk on the game design, art direction, and graphics of Resident Evil um, Village. Uh, Resident Evil V-I-L-L Edge. Uh-huh. It's a visual pun that works really well over audio. <laughs> it's working great. Oh, I'm Somehow really excited made village, for that one. Yeah, that's cool. It, like, uh, I, you, you finished that. 
Yeah, I'm a little baby with horror games, and I got through that one by kind of just, like, holding my breath and running very quickly through hallways, but, like, it's it's gorgeous, the entire game, like, oh, I really loved it. It was, like, my first Resident Evil, too, uh, so beyond yeah. excited for that one. <laughs> that is so cool. I haven't picked it up yet, um, but, you know, in, in lieu of buying it, I was getting ready for its release by playing through Resident Evil 2 Remake, which is excellent. I've always loved Resident Evil. I'm glad that I'm glad that you uh, that that you got to uh, play the first one and it was a good one. Yeah, yeah. I might I might go back to RE2 remake and then I'm going to try Resident Evil Seven. Um, even though that one's a little claustrophobic, uh, so we'll see how I do. <laughs> but I'm oh. gonna I'm gonna try them. <laughs> yeah, I actually restarted that. I was just playing it a couple nights ago, and it's yeah. There's definitely a lot of like nope type stuff where you just uh, <laughs> kind of like, I think you're going to stop here or just, um, you know, go to the console's uh, menu screen for a little while, go to the home screen, just kind of stare blankly at the other games that you could be Relax playing. Relax in the woods where no one can hurt you on the loading screens. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I just on uh, on Xbox uh, Series X, I just go and I, I, I quick resume. Um, you know, something, something <laughs> just listen nice to the and... soothing Xbox music there. <laughs> yeah, I play on just... PlayStation, so I don't know, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I get down on that uh, quick resume. I, I quick <laughs> resume a lot. I quick resume a lot of games. Uh, it just it's oh. really good for short attention spans and good. for trying not to be scared anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, if you love segueing banter like this, uh, we also are going to be doing some GDC Podcast Live episodes at uh, GDC 21, or 2021. We've got, I think, five episodes lined up for the show um, where we'll be talking to guests live. Uh, you can pop into chat and do Q&A just like we did for GDC Showcase recently. So it'll be exciting. Join us. Yeah, y'all should come. Uh, I'm going to steal a term that you used before in one of the previous podcasts, oh, guest no. o'clock. Guest o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> it's guest o'clock. So uh, that means our next guest is president of Chicago-based studio Young Horses. Nay, is co-founder of Chicago-based studio Young Horses. I'm sorry that I did that, by the way. Um, <laughs> that means he is king of the studio that made the phenomenally weird hit Octodad Deadliest Catch and most recently, the phenomenally weird Bug Snacks for PlayStation 5. I can't believe I was able to say that without tripping up my tongue. Um, so let's welcome Phil Tibitoski. Hey, Phil, how you doing? I'm good. How are you, Chris? Uh, I'm doing great. It's been a while. Um, I, I don't even remember the last time I saw you. It was probably at GDC or something like that. Um, but yeah. yeah. I think it might have been Dice, maybe. Oh yeah, Dice. Was that Two the final Dice? Or, yeah. Okay, not the pre-pandemic one. <laughs> the second to last one. Yeah, the the last game event that I, I went to was a Dice in February. Yeah, I think um, that's what it was. Yeah. So anyway, pandemic. That is fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Phil, um, you're president. Um, uh, at Young Horses, and that's in Chicago. How's, yes. How's the game dev scene up there? It's good. Um, sizable, uh, and I think a lot of people maybe don't rec realize that, but, like, mm -hmm. I don't know. We've got uh, another realm with Mortal Kombat here, and yeah. we've got Iron Galaxy here, and us, and a 
ton of other assorted indies. Uh, William Cheer with Manifold Garden or um, Trinket uh, with Battleship Brigade and uh, Organ Trail from Men Who Wear Many Hats is out of here. Uh, Kentucky Route Zero was originally out of Chicago before Jake and Tomas uh, moved. I think Jake moved to Kentucky. Oh, um, I, <laughs> so I always I don't I don't know I just assume that they're in Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, now yes. Um, but <laughs> Chicago uh, Route Zero doesn't have quite the same ring, but exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the Chicago scene is pretty good. Um, it's a little different now, obviously, that no one sees each other, but uh, mm. it was a scene in which we all hung out pretty often. Uh, whether that's like having board game nights or just giving people feedback on projects, um, sharing them locally. There's the Indie City Co-op that's run by Ryan Wiemeyer from The Men Who Wear Many Hats, uh, where a bunch of small indies can rent desks um, and work on whatever they're working on and kind of um, get that in-person response that, that... only works well in that in those like kind of situations that's it's hard to get that kind of feedback even digitally even if the person uh has mm-hmm. the best intentions uh as a person who has gotten those requests sometimes where it's like hey can you play this and kind of give me your thoughts it's very different than being able to in the person in the moment um respond to what you're seeing and doing yeah do you feel yeah. like it's it's like that for every like game developer that you're you know familiar with that they all you know uh, do you know get better feedback in person or do you feel like some are you know kind of can take it either way virtual or or physical? I mean, my general feeling is that it would Im- I'd imagine that largely most people would prefer that in person personal mm-hmm. feedback in the moment kind of thing you can, you know, record yourself playing something and attempt to kind of talk as if a person was there yeah. or or run it over um, Discord or, or whatever, something like that, um, mm-hmm. and screen share. Uh, but a lot of times that limits your pool of people who can play the game because, like, if they can run your game, stream the game, uh, and, like... I don't know, there's like a lot of things you need there, like a microphone, a good internet connection, a computer that can run something that's probably not uh, optimized to run on everything yet. All, mm. all sorts of like barriers to entry there for getting a um, kind of wide net of different types of people to, to play what you're working on. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. As far as Chicago goes, um, I, I used to live in Fort Wayne, Indiana, not quite mm. the metropolis of Chicago, <laughs> but fairly nearby-ish. Yeah. Um, we've had a bunch of like Chicago people on this podcast, I think, now. It's, um, I think... Um, it, isn't it Jackbox? Jackbox yeah. and yeah. Uh, Dave, Dave Lang. Lang was on yep. was on here. <laughs> he was telling us stories about the uh, Midway Mafia stuff back in the oh, day. Gosh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have heard many stories about that, and I'm never quite sure if I should repeat them. <laughs> uh, yeah, he said something about he was he thought he was going to be buried under you know the pitcher's mound at Wrigley, um, <laughs> saying something. Right. Uh, yeah, but um, he's he's still with us, thankfully. Yeah. For now. Uh, <laughs> him and then I mean Adam Boys is here now working with him. Yeah. So that's a a powerful duo for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Forget them. That's Iron Galaxy. They already had their their time on the podcast. Uh, 
so how long ago was was Octodad? Now, like I remember my kids when they were small playing Octodad, so it must have been out Got for it. a little while now. Yeah, um, I <laughs> I hear that pretty often now. Actually, it's weird <laughs> when people are like, "Oh, I used to play that." One like that's one of the games that I have strong memories of as a kid, and I'm like, "Oh God, a <laughs> hundred years old now." Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was back in 2010, the first Octodad, the student one. Um, no, and Young Horses has yeah. been around since 2011. So that's wild. Yeah. Oh, happy 10 years of yeah being a studio yeah. then. Thank you. Yeah, we're getting pretty close. It's in October, I think. Nice. Right around the corner. Yeah. Um, well, I guess for being a studio for a decade, you guys have released like two, two and a half ish games. Um, mm-hmm. How is uh, I guess how's being a team and just having such a focused library, I guess. What's the process been like internally for you guys um, across those years? What do you work on? What's your day-to-day? Uh, it kind of varies, but the the whole goal with creating Young Horses was to create like something small and sustainable, something where we could work at a pace that um, we were happy with, I guess. Uh, and initially that was difficult just because before making any money, we were all still working uh, day jobs or living off of savings from jobs we'd had um, and coming straight out of school. And sometimes, like in my case, I was in school, had a day job and was also working on Octodad at the same time. Uh, Deadliest Catch, the first or first like commercial release, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and but since then, it's been pretty relaxed, honestly. Um, we generally only work 30, 35 hours a week um, per person. Uh, we have like some core hours that we try to stick to, but otherwise is like, Hey, do you have some like errands you need to run today? Sure. Go ahead do that. Whatever. It's not a big deal. Um, kind of laid back, uh, and just creating things. Our whole goal is creating things that other studios, even if it's only like an internal pitch, it's likely <laughs> to get shot down because it just sounds absurd. Uh, and we, we try to take those things and tackle them earnestly, uh, and take them seriously, um, while still obviously having a a bunch of fun and being pretty, I don't know, comedy focused, uh, developers. Both of your games so far are just like lightly absurd anyway. So I'm like, whatever's on your like cutting room floor that didn't make it has to be just wild. Yes. Say lightly, lightly absurd. (laughs) Lightly absurd. (laughs) Well, I'm still I, getting over the body horror in Bug Snacks. I mean, anytime we uh, post online of like, oh, here's what this was like before we announced it or before we released it, people are like, are are you all okay? Like, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I'd say that's accurate. That's that's when you know that you're on the right track when people right. are asking you, are, are they all right? The young horses uh, folks all right? I feel like our strength is that we appeal to a general audience um, but we make them kind of question if they're allowed to like what we've made. Uh, <laughs> the uh, um, Alyssa actually shared this with me right before the podcast, a, a, a GIF or a, a short video that was mm-hmm. a prototype where you're taking the bugs and just like peeling them all apart. And <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> that didn't uh, quite make the cut. No, uh, Bugs Next was kind of originally basically three different games worth of mechanics um, mm. that we were trying to combine together in a sort of WarioWare uh, way in which you would go out on a food truck 
um, in a first-person perspective and catch bug snacks mm -hmm. um, kind of on rails like Pokemon Snap. And then you would bring them back to your food truck, kind of where you parked it, prepare them in a cooking mama type way, uh, and then feed them to a town of Grumpus Muppet people. Uh, and it would affect their kind of moods and behaviors. And there was like a whole town building sim aspect of it. And we just kind of realized we were making way too much for <laughs> what our small studio can actually accomplish. How um, big is your studio again? Sorry. There are... Uh, eight of us uh, core members and then we have various contractors that we bring on and off depending on what we need at the time yeah. yeah that was something i was i was creeping all the young horses tweets uh, right before and the like the pokemon snap like and just the procedural generation behind the like um relationships that you guys talked about there mm -hmm. like that is so much like wider in scope and just so much like bigger and open-ended than what bug snacks ended up being <laughs> which is this kind of like more tight narrative focused and semi-linear experience yeah i mean i think octodad started partially as like the story concept and that drove the mechanics and bug snacks started uh, in a lot of the mechanics and then story was kind of built on top. But I think part of the reason it became so narrative focused is we realized that our strengths, uh, at least in our perspective, from our perspective are in world building um, and characters. Um, when it comes to leading with the story first versus mechanics first, do you guys, have you found that you prefer one or the other or one works better for your team? I don't know if one works better or, or the other. I think it's really just like what we latch onto and we just go from, I don't know. I don't feel like we have uh, great or repeatable processes in place yet, or at least we're always kind of changing and adapting them. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's any one approach that we would um, say, well, this is the way we do things and we're not gonna do it any other way, as of yet at least. Um, both are interesting because when you start with the, the narrative or some sort of uh, thematic like concept, um, then you're trying to find a way to express that through the mechanics and when you're starting with mechanics you're you're looking at what's like pleasurable or uh, what makes the player like feel a way that we want them to feel through what they're doing and then finding reasons for them to do those things um, I think you can come at it from either direction and sometimes it might even just depend on like the team makeup and what they're most interested in or at the time um, I know for us a lot of us draw inspiration from both our everyday lives uh, and our hobbies, and then also a lot of like, there's a lot of childhood um, media inspiration from things like Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network and uh, the Muppets and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Is it is it true? I, I got this from Wikipedia, so I'm just looking for confirmation here <laughs> that the the, the initial uh, like the uh, the concept of Buck Snacks started when somebody on the team drew a waffle pillar, a caterpillar mm -hmm. made out of waffles. Yeah, that's true. Okay, uh, right. and interestingly, like our pit, one thing that is kind of consistent about our pitching process internally when we're trying to come up with a new game is that each person comes to the table with um, their like set of one page kind of pitches of uh, 
it can be a mechanic or it can be a concept or a narrative. Um, but with Bugsnax, we took, I guess, three of them or more and kind of mushed them all together. Um, and so like that peeling uh, mechanic that you saw from that tweet was from a pitch from Devin, who's one of our programmers, um, because he really liked the tactile feel of like peeling a sticker mm-hmm. and was prototyping that feeling. Um, and then we were like, well, why don't we just slap it <laughs> in this bug <laughs> bug hunting game and you can like peel them apart and maybe that will be, maybe we can make people enjoy this thing that they probably shouldn't enjoy. Mm-hmm. So why why didn't that make it in, into the game? I can you know imagine why it might not have made it, but why didn't it get in? <laughs> Part of it was just the scope and trying to play to our strengths. Um, in I don't know I don't we had never made a systemic uh, process focused I guess game before, which is weird to say because we ended up there anyways like there's sometimes things that we cut and we're like oh we can't do this for x y and z reasons and then we do something else similar like oh we're gonna make an ecosystem of bugs next that all interact with one another in systemic ways um and so yeah there there was partially that scopey kind of reason and then partially because it's terrifying uh (laughs) because because we're trying to like balance you know um making people feel uneasy because I don't want to get too like spoilery, but uh, I don't know. Bug snacks aren't great um, as what they are, um, and so we wanted to kind of lead people along and let them feel that before they knew it, I guess. Um, but there's a there's like a a way to go too far to where someone won't stick with something because they're immediately like repulsed. Uh, whereas like otherwise we, what we wanted to do was slowly, uh, make them feel bad about what they were doing, uh, <laughs> by first leading them in with how cute it is. Um, and so there's like a balance there that we had to strike and, uh, we were trying to experiment and figure out what the right balance was. Um, and you know, tearing yeah. limbs off and having them go scream or yell, it was, uh, really not in the cards if we wanted people to keep playing. <laughs> It's a fine line between, uh, yeah, um, yeah I had uh, enjoyment and was, repulsion. <laughs> one of my notes down was finding a balance between wholesome and horror, but it seems like it's more of a journey from wholesome to horror. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a boiling a frog situation where you, you just increase the weirdness slowly um, over time until someone realizes, like, oh, I should not have been doing any of this. <laughs> Our um, coworker recommended that we uh, look up the like ending of the game. I'm only like I just got to the desert part of it, so I'm not that far in. Just to like know how weird it gets and kind of touch on that a little bit. But I, yeah, I want that journey. I want to get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I think it's worth it. Um, personally, uh, there's stuff I would change now, but uh, nothing narratively really. More just like mechanic stuff. And just to prod a bit there, what kind of things would you change? Just being vague if you need to. Uh, I feel like we often get to the end of development, like part of the difficult, the difficult thing for me at least, uh, or what I perceive for developing a game for as long as we did, because it was about six years from like concept to release, um, is that by the end of it, you get kind of fatigued. Um, 
And sometimes I think if you take that long, it can become difficult with a small team to finish strong, I guess, Mm -hmm. uh, because you spend a lot of time having to polish the entire game. uh, And so the ending, I feel like for ours, while not like awful or anything, I feel like it's suffered a little bit just because we tend to do that last. Like I know some developers will um, start with the end and then work backwards. Uh, mm-hmm. And we haven't done that yet, really. Um, and so, like, the ending, I think, narratively and structurally is good. But mechanics-wise, we we end up in a space where most of our games are not really action-oriented. Or even if there are kind of, like, action elements, you can go at it at your own pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the ends kind of end up as this weird sprint um, where we're having people do things under conditions that they otherwise wouldn't have been asked to do uh, throughout the rest of the game. Um, and it's I think it's difficult because we're trying to like increase tension and uh, make things kind of feel like they they matter and there's some stakes um, while which is difficult to do in a game where otherwise everything is pretty relaxed, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, and like the, I, I don't. Th- there's not that many games that handle like pacing like exactly how uh, I think the developers would would prefer. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's difficult. Uh, I, I do want to ask about uh, the pitching process within the studio. How exactly does that work? How does something get approved? You know, even is everyone uh, everyone sitting at the table? You know, in the room is uh, is totally into it, and then uh, and then you follow that. Like internal game jams, like other, I think, the other Chicago studio we talked about does those. Yeah, I, we we generally start kind of with those one-page pitches from each person on the team, no matter what their discipline is. Um, and we all come in and pitch those to everyone on the team, kind of all sit around on the couch in our meeting room. Um, and sometimes that comes with, like, supplementary, like, um, mood boards and I don't know, oh, here's a song that like kind of evokes the feeling I want to get across with this idea. Uh, and after everyone's pitched all of theirs, we vote on our favorites. Um, and the rules around that have been kind of amorphous where it's like, oh, maybe you can pick one of your ideas, but then all the other ones have to be other people's and stuff like that. And eventually we get it down to like three games or three game ideas, at least that we think are worth prototyping. And then as a team, uh, we prototype those three ideas and try to kind of give them equal time to see how viable they might be. Um, As for how we get to those three ideas, uh, we have different criteria. Uh, Some of that is, uh, is there enough here or do we believe there is enough here for everyone to work on something that they'll enjoy, even if they are not 100% bought into like, the theme or concept right now like is there a mechanic or is there a technical aspect or an artistic aspect of this that will give someone room to grow uh in like whatever it is that they want to grow in um whether that's like a new art style or a new uh like i don't know seth our uh sound designer having to uh, create night and day music and dynamic music for Buck Snacks was a new thing that we didn't have an Octodad, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that kind of thing. And then there's a level of marketability for the idea, since you know 
we are a business, um, having to look at what kind of games exist right now, uh, what's what are the most popular things, and how can we not do those things? Um, basically, because trying to compete in uh, those sorts of arenas, like obviously we can't make a battle royale game or um, I don't know, a survival game would even be pretty difficult, I think, for us. And trying to find a space in which those things line up with what we want to do and line up with um, how we want to kind of improve and do better from, you know, what we learned from our last game, I guess. Um, and after we've prototyped those those three ideas that get picked by those criteria, um, it's generally pretty clear both from playing them ourselves and then having uh, other developers or friends locally play them um, and give feedback on what they think is interesting and what they don't think, which one of those ideas is going to move forward. Uh, and we should just vote on based on that um, if we're not if it's not already clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting as far as <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's been six years since the original concept. So. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about, you know, looking at the market. Is there even a point, you know, looking at, you know, trends that you should, you know, fast following, quote unquote, for, for right. you all? Yeah, it just wouldn't. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot of like looking at and also that entire time looking at things that come out and being like, oh, gosh, is this like how close is this to what we're doing? Because mm-hmm. um, while we were pitching books next, we were looking at things like Slime Rancher um, yeah. in terms of like, well, what are we kind of close to, but not exactly um, and how can we set our game apart from those things so it stands out so that people are excited about it, um, but we're not directly competing with something that isn't really in our um, our wheelhouse, I guess, or aligned with yeah. our goals. Yeah, the the social media response to Bug Snacks, like initially, it, what what did you think of that? What was going through like you and the the rest of the studios, you know, brains there? Because I there was a time, and I follow a lot of game developers and video game people, but it seemed like it was all over the place. Bug Snacks, Bug Snacks, Bug Snacks on my Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah, I think um, one of our concerns, this being our kind of like sophomore effort, was how the heck are we going to like out meme Octodad, um, <laughs> which while like we obviously intended for people to like we didn't expect as many people to like it as much as they did um and trying to surpass or do better than that or even as well as that was a frightening idea uh for bug snacks um but i think part of it was knowing you know we only have that maybe minute and a half to grab people let alone the first 10 seconds of a of a trailer to grab people um and trying to strike the right balance between making someone want to know more based on the absurd thing they just saw and wanting to know like, well, how does that work? And why is that? And um, and then also like telling them enough after you've initially hooked them there to have them want to stick around um, and learn even more, I guess. And then also alluding to other games that are maybe somewhat similar or elements of those games that are somewhat similar uh, that people can kind of grab onto and say, okay, well, a lot of this is very weird and I'm not sure if I like it, but there are these couple things that I'm like, well, I like this other game that's sort of like this. And so I'll keep following this. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's like very, 
like we do a lot of research and spend a lot of time looking at what other games have done to grab attention, what's grabbed our attention, uh, and then mix that with what's worked well for us in the past, and then just general feeling, I guess. Yeah, it's not exactly a science. No, yeah. and, and yeah. none of that is a real guarantee. And then you have you know the, uh, us deciding, like, we're not going to do this in a kind of organic way this time. Where, like with Octodad, you know, we had... The student game, which was kind of a mess, but people liked it, and and then we had the Kickstarter, uh, which you know got people excited because that was an opportunity at the time, and then uh, we tried to post kind of updates of where we were at in development and stuff like that as we went, and um, it didn't feel like doing that again. You can't tell that same sort of story um, twice. Uh, the kind of like grassroots, like we're mm -hmm. students making a studio, making a game for our first time. Um, and, you know, stuff like we'd done before was no longer viable to get attention either with the Kickstarter since everyone has run one since. Yeah. Um, and I don't even, I don't even know if like that's a story anymore. Like right. students getting together to make a game. It's like, yeah, everyone it happens. Yeah. is doing that. <laughs> and so we had to just kind of like pick and choose like, well, where are we going to announce this? How are we going to announce this to kind of gain that same amount of attention or hopefully more? Um, and knowing that we can't just entirely rest on, oh, we made Octodad. Like, that's a benefit. Um, it's definitely a leg up over someone else who has is putting out their first thing. Mm -hmm. um, but we never felt like it was a guarantee that this would be successful or that people would care about it, I guess. Were there any like special like considerations or like second thoughts that following up a game like Octodad, having that kind of like prestige behind you made you like second guess certain things along the way? Or how did you kind of accommodate that past success to make sure that your next project at least lived up to that? That had to be like really stressful. Uh, yes. Like we knew kind of where, uh, I feel like we have a very honest internal assessment of where we exist within the independent games landscape, um, like in terms of uh, what players value about what they play, uh, how much they're willing to spend on those things, and where we kind of sit within that, um, that those axes. Uh, and so we knew, like Octodad, um, Dadly's Catch was a big step up from the student project, uh, much more polished uh, and cohesive, but still, I don't know, like janky and feels like a toy to some extent. And I think even up until releasing the game, like maybe two weeks before releasing the game, a lot of people had no idea that game had a story to it. They just thought like it's a sandbox and you play around, uh, which is definitely part of it. Um, but then, you know, we put out like a story trailer and people were surprised, um, that there was one. And so I think with this, uh, we were just trying to up production values, uh, as well as, um, I feel like to some degree there are goals. We're making more of a game game, I guess. Uh, because I mean, in, in Bugsnacks, there's like a linear progression of, the story alongside collection, alongside NPCs that are fully voiced and dialogue trees and, um, I don't know, transformation and player customization 
uh, at least upon like the other players you meet, not necessarily yourself. Um, and it just felt like we had to do more to stand out uh, as well as to like, we want to value our work at a higher price point and um, like to sit aside alongside like Supergiant or um, Cappy or, or any of the studios that like we kind of look up to uh, or have looked up to. Uh, it felt like there was work to be done to meet those standards. Um, what um what are the what were the price points? I think that's like one of the things that indie developers really struggle with. Um, you know, getting the the value right for mm. for their games. So what was what was Octodad, and then like uh, and then compared to Bug, Bug Snacks. So Octodad was fifteen dollars mm-hmm. um, at its base price, and for an average player. Uh, like whether whether as a developer you like it or not that someone values your game for how much time they spend in it yeah uh, that's just the kind of the truth of the world mm-hmm. um, at least right now and so Octodad is about two and a half hours for an average player who's just going through at an average pace um, and it can be a lot less than that for someone who's speed running mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and with Bugsnacks we kind of knew that we wanted to make a game that was between eight and 10 hours long for an average player. And so we kind of looked at other games that we felt uh, provided that same amount of playtime or similar amount of playtime and looked at also like uh, graphical fidelity and art style and um, kind of like how much narrative or how much story is in those things. And is it a, uh, is it a survival game? Is it a live game? That's something something that someone comes back to all the time, or is it a kind of one shot? Like I've played this and now I'm done with it, um, mm-hmm. sort of game. And you're gonna get uh, there's kind of positives and negatives to each of those things um, as far as like pricing and whether you're gonna retain players goes. Um, but often I feel like, or at least in our experience, the trade offs are kind of equitable, I guess. Like maybe your game is not um, super replayable. uh, And so we price it a little bit higher than maybe we would if it was a survival game that someone's going to stick with forever and we'll release a bunch of content for it uh, that, you know, you also charge for. Mm -hmm. Um, But we ended up at $25 for bug snacks um, because we felt like the jumping quality, uh, it being like fully voice acted, um, but also still being fairly short relative to a lot of like AAA outings um, or games that you'd play over and over again, like Hades. Um, we felt like it was it wasn't quite you know at that level, so we kind of jumped back and forth between uh, twenty, twenty five, thirty dollars, and ended up in the middle. Yeah. Um, just to kind of build on that, I have two little questions. Uh, one, knowing what you know now, and about five ish months out from release, right? Um, does that 25% or sorry, that $25 price point still sit right with you? Do you feel like it was the best choice? I think so. Uh, I think some people on the team would have rather it been at 30. Um, and I don't think I would have fought them very hard to have it not be that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's, it seems right to me. Um, I think we won't really know for multiple years at this point. Um, 
uh, until it's been out longer and, and more people have, have played and, and bought it. Um, but for me right now, it still seems about right. And then the other question on that, uh, when you guys are having those conversations about trying to figure out like value versus like how much is in the game and content, at what point in development do you start having those? And then did you like decide that like a week before launch is finally like, yes, this is it, we're doing it? Or was it established earlier in the process? We talked about it probably the whole time we were working on the game um, on and off. And then it just became more frequent towards the end. Uh, I think we made the decision, came out in November, maybe August 2020, I think. So a couple, two, three months before before release, we like decided exactly what it would be. Mm -hmm. um, but it was always within that range. And like part of it is is feeling and what we think uh, versus other stuff that's in the market and what's come out recently. And then part of it is is actual data of like asking other developers who are friends of ours, like how did uh, this sell and what does their game look like and what's the audience for that game like? Uh, and how do we think we can like compare that to what we do and have done? Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a lot of kind of guesswork based on some evidence. Mm -hmm. um, we're not doing like... I don't know, we're doing like some research, but we're not doing, you know, probably nearly as much market research as some bigger studios would. Well, I imagine with, uh, you said you worked on Bugsnax for six years, like pricing mm -hmm. games six years ago has to be a completely different minefield than it is in 2020, 2021. Oh, for sure. A lot of independent games have been kind of inching up in price, which I think is, is good. And a mm -hmm. lot of them, I think it's partially because you gain a pedigree. Like I would 100% pay uh, I'd pay $60 for a super giant game, mm -hmm. honestly, just because of their like history of quality and like incredible experiences. Um, and so I feel like because of that history and because of like people getting more used to smaller studios, um, releasing games, people feel more comfortable spending a little bit more, um, you know, especially see if they see a review or if they, if they know the developer. Yeah. The, the market, yeah, o overall, if you're talking to, you know, an, an indie developer that, you know, they're working on their first game and uh, they have questions about the market, you know, because I, I know that you do the, you know, the biz dev stuff on, on your end. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, are you, what are you telling them, uh, you know, aside from, from the pricing stuff that we just talked about? Like, what, what, what do you have to make sure that you properly address? I mean, I think there have to be some realistic expectations as far as what their sales uh, could potentially be. Um, it's not a perfect science. You can't always predict exactly how things will go. Um, but it's like, is your game a small niche uh, title that would sell to like really well to an existing audience that you've already cultivated, but probably wouldn't sell much outside of that? Well, then maybe you want to price a little bit higher so that you're kind of getting all the value out of it that you can um and that that you know maybe you'll be surprised and other people will also value it that way that you didn't expect um or uh is this your first thing um and it's not a huge game but it's a novel concept and a lot of people seem to think it's funny and would they try that for 15 dollars or 10 dollars um and trying to find kind of where that breaking point is where you can kind of nudge someone from interest to actually trying it um 
I always feel a little ill-equipped compared to, I don't know, some other like business people in the industry are, are so knowledgeable. But yeah. for, for us, it's more like a lot of anecdotal evidence, a lot of um, just kind of looking at some data of like what's sold well and what hasn't and then feeling it out. Yeah, I've, um, I've, seen, I've seen so many ways of people trying to figure out what a realistic sales expectation is. Right. Um, yeah. And, but I think like, in terms of just giving advice to other developers, uh, whether they're starting out or otherwise, I think it's a matter of knowing that each situation is pretty unique and the context of all of it matters a lot, um, all the way down to like who your team is and how they're going to promote the game and what the game is and who your expected players are and what are their like kind of purchasing patterns like or at least their your expectations of what their purchasing patterns might be um all of that stuff plays into it and then alongside like what is the market like right now what's selling really well and what isn't and where does it seem like it's going um that maybe not everybody's taken advantage of yet um i don't know we did like kickstarter and steam Greenlight were both things we did not necessarily because they were going to fund the entire development of Octodad, but because they were getting a lot of attention, um, both in the press and from players at the time, because they were new and exciting. Um, like we already were talking <laughs> to Steam about putting Octodad on there, and we probably could have, and then we just decided to run a green light because it seemed like it would get attention. Oh wow! Um, back when that was a thing. Um, so I think it's also just a lot about adaptability and trying to recognize trends. Uh, as they're happening, but before they have been over like saturated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like a similar vein to that, you guys were essentially a PS5 launch title and on PS plus, is that kind of the same visibility decision that you just talked about? Yes. Um, like besides having worked with, with PlayStation before and then having been like, great to work with an Octodad, it was also partially like, well, there's a new console coming and we knew it was likely to come out in 2020, even though we had no official, you know, there's, there's general cycles to these things. These, there's patterns that you can kind of identify and try to follow. Um, and it just so happened that the end of our development cycle was probably going to line up with fall 2020 release. And we're like, well, that's probably when these consoles are going to come out. And so, um, you know, we went and talked to PlayStation. We were like, well, so, you know, we're going to have this new thing fall 2020 and, figured you know you might be interested in that because you might be having a new thing <laughs> and obviously they're going to be coy about it and be like well you know we'll see who knows um mm -hmm. are we working on a next playstation who can say but like uh you can kind of put yourself in a position um where you're like more likely to be able to be presented with those opportunities than not and kind of being ready for them at at any moment and being ready to kind of pivot, um, but also being able to evaluate whether it's actually worth pivoting is the the hard skill to to gain and, and, and use well. Um, and I think being able to take uh, an honest look at our own work and team and know like kind of what's right for us is, is our best skill mm -hmm. um, business-wise. What what did uh, Sony say when you showed them bug, sna bug snacks? I don't know if it was John Drake at the time or Nick Sutner. We showed it to him pretty early. I think it was like 2016 or 17. Mm -hmm. And um, 
the question, I think it was like a hotel room at GDC or something like that. It was like, is there a gas leak in your office? Like what's going on <laughs> over there? Like, uh, because when we showed it to them, it looked pretty similar to how some of the early stuff we put on Twitter recently looked where mm -hmm. it's like flat shaded, basically gray box areas um, with non-finished assets and characters like sliding around with their mouths opening and shutting like garbage cans. Um, and, and we just had, you know, the pitch of the concept and what we plan to do with it. And uh, I mean, they were interested. They were just like, all right, well, keep us like posted on how this is going. I, I think at the time they probably weren't completely sold, but they knew that, you know, from Octodad, like we start with something absurd that looks like kind of, garbage to some extent uh mm. but they know that we will uh see it through and kind of take it seriously and and bring it to something that people can love hopefully yeah your repu your reputation uh preceded you there probably yeah i don't think i don't know if we would have gotten the same response you know if we if this was our first game and we came to them with that um at least not with like a working concept which i think is that free student game for octa that that we released was like a huge jumping off point um, to just kind of gain some credibility. Well, I think it's great that you found an audience with this uh, weird game and with your other weird game. Uh, our, uh, you know, I don't expect you to be talking about what's next, but um, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're definitely, we're working on some more bug snacks stuff. Um, both from just a like updates quality of life perspective and other things uh not ready to talk about specifics yet sure um and that's like near term and then long term we haven't quite decided if i don't know like before bug snacks we even had the temptation of like do we go back to the octodad well or do we do something completely new um and when we started the studio the whole idea was like we will make continue to make new bizarre stuff uh, as long as we are able, um, and, and like our current bizarre thing does well enough and Bugsnax has done well enough. So I'm not sure yet if we're going to go, cause like we have a lot of ideas for what we'd like to do with Octodad at some point, And we just don't know when the right time is going to be to do them. Uh, but it's also extremely tempting to say, <laughs> well, let's go do, see if we can like do another completely weird, uh, thing that it's like fits our audience and style but like i don't know we went from making a 3d physics puzzle sandbox game to making a first person narrative adventure uh with like character morphing and i don't know other mm -hmm. weird stuff um and and so it'll be interesting to see if we try to tackle something completely different next or if, if we kind of go back to something more um familiar and just try to improve it and make it what it could be yeah, well, I guess God help us all if you uh, come up with something else. <laughs> yeah, terrified what could Basically. be weirder, but... <laughs> all right, Phil, well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was fantastic having you on, and I uh, really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So I have just chills running up and down my spine uh, <laughs> thinking of the horrific things that young horses uh, 
is going to be coming up with next? Oh my gosh. I'm like, I'm playing through Bugsnax right now and kind of like went into it being like, this is a cheery game, but I know there's darker things because I've seen people be like, holy shit, that ending. And like, I fed, I finally like maxed out, like I fed one of the uh, villager friends, like the max amount of like bug snacks to like alter all his body parts and i felt so bad for him i'm like running around and collecting like all of the same ones to try to like match him to one now like oh that game is so like emotionally weird the it was apparently supposed to be darker too um not not just uh i mean i when i was doing my my internet stalking and i was reading the uh the wikipedia entry on the game uh, it apparently was supposed to be the story was supposed to be much darker it's so weird. it's so weird. I don't know. It must be, it must be that dark. like, yeah, yeah. It, it must be that uh, those Midwestern winters that you and I are familiar with just uh, yeah. just make people, uh, you know, want to peel body parts off of cute. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering where you were going from the word peel there. <laughs> hey, I didn't come up with the game. Yeah, uh, but uh, but that's that uh, that's that's really interesting. Something can go from. Hey guys, here's a drawing of a caterpillar made of waffles, and then uh, yeah. I, I I just assume how that's how whoever did that. Uh, it's interesting think, to think because yeah. it's obviously like a niche for that kind of like horror niche niche. I don't know if I say that word correctly. Um, you can, you like can those kind of like niche 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 niche. Yeah. <laughs> There's obviously a place for those kind of like darker games, but like um, Bug Snacks especially balances out so much of this like. Did they really just say something that horrific with um, this like cute whimsy that it, it seems like a perfect storm in a way? Excuse me, and, what? <laughs> yeah, because you'll yeah. be talking to someone and they'll have this like cheery, happy-go-lucky voice, and then they'll just say something super dark, like "Yeah, whenever I try to cook bug snacks, they just turn into goo, and you can't really eat them." And I'm like, "What? <laughs> what the hell did you just say to me?" <sighs> yeah, speaking of dark games, I've uh, been playing Frostpunk a lot lately, and. <sighs> Yeah, we talked a little bit uh, about that about it uh, at work. Like, also, it's weird, you know. If you listen to the uh, the Texas Disaster podcast that I I did uh, with Lars Doucet, and we talked about um, surviving through freak winter storms um, and drinking um, melted roof snow, and then I go and play a game that's about that. Um, but yeah, that that game it's uh, solemn. God, like even on a good day, I tried playing Frostpunk and it hasn't clicked with me yet. Maybe it will, but it was so like stressful and like depressing. And I guess that kind of like oppressive aura is what they want out of it. And that's what kind of what they created with this war of mine before that. Um, yeah. But to have like everything you went through recently and then that's your unwinding game. I do not understand. <laughs> I don't know either, but I'm like, I'm definitely better at it now than, than before. It's a cathartic uh, in a way, I guess, or yeah, maybe. Like, it, <laughs> I, I, I like um, that once once you accept that eleven bit who made the game, once you accept that the goal of it was that there are no good choices, then that mm-hmm. kind of uh, lifts a little bit of the stress out because, like, you know, it's almost like there's no necessarily good or bad decisions. They're all bad decisions mm-hmm. that all have. Uh, negative consequences the only question is are you prepared um are your systems prepared for those negative uh consequences to to like absorb those negative consequences and yeah yeah Uh, i guess maybe the reason 
I'm just like figuring this all out now is like uh, this war of mine, which definitely clicked with me. It was a lot more like character driven and like very focused mm-hmm. on the micro. And then with this war of mine or not this war of mine with Frostpunk, you have this like these macro decisions and those I'm, I'm bad at those in general. So maybe that's yeah. kind of like these more like person driven decisions. I'm way better at. So yeah, yeah I can, who knows? No, I can, I can totally understand that. I think that makes sense. Like um, even the population of, um, of Frostpunk it's not mm-hmm. it's not personal it's not personalized like the narrative of that uh game they do add the personal impact um you know they, they bring up people like my kid ran away um and i want to go find them and then you have a choice for example to give you know the father rations from the stockpile to go search for their kid or mm-hmm. or not or not um and so it does inject that kind of, hey, this is a decision that's going to affect somebody personally in this game. But at the end of the day, they're just another resource. Humans like are, are a resource, you know, that has a, a number assigned to them. Yeah. yeah. Supporting the mini versus supporting the one, I, I guess. It's one of those yeah. Games. Hey, how about a fun game that you've been playing? <laughs> a happy game. <laughs> oh, you mean Hit- Hitman where I run around and just... <laughs> push people off of ledges love that fun lighthearted game that is fun and lighthearted i think it's hilarious yeah i'm currently working on my 100 percent run still i'm still working on the winery um slowed down a bit to get into bug snacks and just to like breathe mm-hmm. and yeah I'm, yeah I'm dming a dnd campaign now so that's taking up some time and like i don't know. oh i didn't realize that you were dming it yeah i'm playing in two games one that's on hiatus on top of that and then i'm dming one um so i've just basically gamified all of my like social obligations online and it's <laughs> really great way for me because i'm very like i like to organize things and i like to plan things and it's, it's, yeah. it's structured it's great um you, you should play a frostpunk there's a lot of organizing <laughs> too organized <laughs> planning <laughs> i thought you were playing the sims right or, i oh, mean yeah, you're always that... playing that too it's my different like micromanagement games. It's like Hitman where you have to pay attention to all these tiny details and the Sims where you tell people how to like when to eat their breakfast and yeah, they yeah. announced um a new DLC tier uh like yesterday I think uh from where we're recording this um which is getting some mixed feedback, but I I think I'm in the minority that's for it or I haven't really paid attention to public opinion, but uh, where it's at is The Sims 4 um, has three different tiers previously of DLC. There are expansion packs, game packs, and stuff packs. Um, each of it, I think, expansions are 40. Were you, hired by, were you hired by EA at some point? <laughs> <laughs> expansions are 40, game packs are 20, or, yeah, 20, and then stuff packs are 10. And it's, like, different tiers of, like, how much it affects mm-hmm. your game based on that. And they launched a $5 pack now um, that are just called kits that are very focused little... DLC things. And on one hand, it seems like a great idea for them to implement these concepts that might not have had enough room to become their own pack and still add them to the game um, without having to fit into some weird thematic thing of a larger content drop. But on the other hand, people are like, hey, it's a little nickel and dimey. It's kind of microtransaction-y. So that happened yesterday. We'll see where it goes. Um, But it's interesting. I'm I'm glad The Sims is doing well. Sorry, this is a whole rant, uh, because like no, when it launched, <laughs> sorry, yeah. you asked for just this. go, just go. I did, I did bring it up. So uh, yeah, when The Sims Four launched, it was kind of like not exactly what the community wanted, and through like free updates throughout the time of the release, and then the paid content as well, um, they've really kind of turned the game around into this like whole force that the community is more in love with. Nothing will ever live up to The Sims Two. 
Um, but The Sims 4 is a lot better than it was, um, and it's become a game that is just regularly mentioned in EA's earnings calls for just a steadily growing player base, and every now and then it'll get called out for, like, revenue alongside, like, Apex Legends and other, like, major games, and it's just... I'm so happy yeah. that game turned it, turned it around and seems to be continued, like, continuing to thrive. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, is there... Um, how cold does it get in these levels? Is it... Uh, anything get iced over or is there like some food rationing that needs to happen there are blizzard mechanics oh see there (laughs) you go (laughs) if you have the sims 4 seasons purchased and installed uh you get seasons but some areas there's like a a winter pack that came out a couple months ago where it's like snowing all the time you can go skiing but you can also get like snowed in it's yeah it's a great game i've been playing this podcast forever (laughs) this podcast brought to you by electronic arts oh my gosh apparently (laughs) no it's great so i think that's uh yeah i think we're i think we're gonna wind her down here what do you think yeah i think every episode should now just include me talking for like five minutes straight about some game i'm really into (laughs) (laughs) i see the metrics that um people people dropped off a long time ago once once the guest uh once the guest uh uh leaves then it's kind of you see you see the trail just uh just slide downward uh so to people who have stuck around until the end here thank you we see you and we appreciate you uh thanks for being here yeah if uh if you um like what you heard uh not necessarily in the past five minutes but um, just overall in general uh please uh leave us a uh a positive review give us five stars on um on uh, apple podcasts we are also on spotify give us a follow there that's super easy and uh we're probably gonna upload this to youtube at some point so uh you should just follow the uh gdc youtube channel anyway and that's about it from yeah oh every podcast says this but we have a lot of exciting content in the pipeline like we have a lot of things lined up at this point from recording we've, so we've done yeah. so many yeah we've done and i have so many podcasts scheduled with really good guests not even exaggerating and if you just found out about us um or if you just found out about us recently listen to the previous ones because we we try to make them relevant for uh for any period of time you could listen to any of those podcasts, if uh, if you're living in the year, uh, you know, twenty two twenty two, it's still gonna be uh, it's still gonna be relevant. I guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm Chris Graft. I'm Alyssa McAloon. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.